Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome to Episode 2 of our series on Boundaries and Burnout, a course originally published by Elite Learning in video format. In Episode 1, we learned how nurses were impacted by the pandemic and staggering statistics on the exodus of nurses from the profession. We also learned the importance of maintaining a state of balance and well-being to combat the physical toll of burnout and to improve our ability to care for others. In this episode, we'll hear from Trish Hart on the symptoms of burnout and strategies for coping, as well as setting boundaries. It doesn't just happen overnight. It gradually develops over time. And these 12 steps, as I mentioned, don't necessarily follow one another in order. Sometimes we skip or often we find ourselves several times at the same step. And the length of each phase varies between patient and patient. So just take a moment right now as we move through these stages, I'm just gonna describe them um, broadly. So I think about stage one as, you know, we just have gotten a job. So I have a son who will be um, starting his very first software engineering job Um, July 15th. So his candle is so bright right now. So he's going to give everything to his job, just like all of us when we first began our very first uh, days within our job, that we are there to prove ourselves, going the extra mile. We work harder. And as we work harder, sometimes things fall away, that we neglect our own needs. We might notice that um, we start to revise our values. And we might notice that We have behavioral changes like withdrawal. We might not even acknowledge that there are problems in our behavior. We become depersonalized from our experience at work. We might feel empty, which can also um, be affected by uh, depression and thus leading us to burnout syndrome. So as I said, noticing if any of these things resonate with you because they're all pieces of this puzzle of burnout. And you might have noticed, you know, maybe um, a different experience uh, 16 months ago, pre-COVID to where you are now, Um, even just day to day, it can change. But where are you in these phases of burnout, if at all? You might be here just to learn more. Do some of these actions resonate with you or have you observed them in one of your colleagues? Let's listen as Trish elaborates more on symptoms associated with burnout. There are symptoms that are attributed to burnout syndrome. As I mentioned, that depersonalization of experience, the lack of interest or enthusiasm over your job. You might find yourself moving slower than normal, disinterested in conversations, kind of pulling back socially, disengagement. Um, your overall negative, you know, overall attitude becomes cynical or negative. And you might even start to um, really lose sight of what is acceptable professionally. You might notice yourself um, more tardy, increased absence, absences, um, just overall not the same person that you were when that 
candle was shining bright at, very, at day one. Overall, there's a decline in productivity and the quality of your work is affected. It's not as high quality. And you are tired. You are so tired because of the culmination of all of these things. And that is what burnout syndrome is. There are some um, physical and mental symptoms of burnout, including fatigue, insomnia. And insomnia, I think it's such an interesting point because it's caused by that amygdala, that part of the brain that is scanning our environment to keep us safe, the reacting part of the brain. When that is alarmed, it creates a um, signaling down the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the largest nerve of your body and it connects into your adrenal glands. In your adrenal glands is where epinephrine is produced. And that epinephrine is like speed. So we might notice as stress increases and as we move towards burnout, we can't sleep because our adrenal glands are dumping epinephrine into our bloodstream. So that's always important to note. We might also notice mood changes. Maybe we're more sad or angry or irritable. Basically, we become somebody else. We try to calm ourselves medicinally with alcohol or substances and know that just with COVID alone, there has been a 300% increase in the use of drugs and alcohol. So medicating, an increase in heart disease as a result of high blood pressure and other factors, um, also more vulnerable to developing um, type 2 diabetes and overall um, a host of various illnesses. So burnout isn't so great for our physical and mental um, well-being. That's obviously certain. And some things put us at more risk for burnout. So some of these things might resonate with you, especially the first one. There's a pandemic and that you're trying to juggle many responsibilities. So some of you, as I mentioned, might have children that were home, um, that were unexpected. Maybe um, you didn't have the space to accommodate them. Um, maybe there was more work associated with having them. Maybe some of you had to educate them. Um, personally, we had my 91-year-old um, father living with us who had some chronic health issues in which I became the nurse and did all the IV lines and he had been hospitalized four times and had to have all of his services done at our home. So that was quite challenging. We all have our stories and um, it doesn't just end with COVID. We all have our stories of all the things that we're trying to juggle. A second risk factor, you identify so strongly with your job. Your job is your identity and that you lack balance between your work life and your personal life. And I can certainly say that this was me at one point of my life, um, that I gave everything to my job and that when I was asked what I like to do for my own you know, self-care, I didn't have much because I was so married to my job. Now, the way that we've worked has shifted. So think about <clears throat> the time that we spend online. Medical records are now online. There's a lot to it. We're the various systems of pay that coordinate patient care and medical records. In addition, some of us might find ourselves working on Zoom. And Zoom is interesting because there is a delay. It's actually coined the Zoom delay between what we see 
and what the brain processes. So there's always a catch-up game between those two, and it's exhausting. Now, the obvious one <laughs> with nursing, you have a high workload, including overtime work, so that you're very, you're not in control of your work at any time, but now there's more of it. Um, you try to be everything to everyone, and this is the perfectionist striving. You want to be a great parent, great coworker, great leader. So many roles that each of you play is that there's a irregular distribution of the tasks and that you just can't catch up, that you want to be everything to everyone. Um, being in the helping profession. Certainly, how some of us work and communicate with each other has changed due to the pandemic. Many roles are now remote, which many of us couldn't have imagined just a few short years ago. COVID even changed how we communicate with our patients, bringing forth technologies that have allowed us to connect without fear of exposure. Nurses aren't the only ones struggling with being in a caring role, however. Let's listen as Trish elaborates. This just isn't for nurses. This could include childcare, transportation, I mean, just different industries that you're supporting and helping people. Um, you know, nursing is obviously one all about helping physically and emotionally, but it's exhausting because you're always giving. You have an energy leak constantly. Unless you put the cap on it, um, you're of little help to others. And then you feel that you have little or no control over your work. And that kind of sums up um, the job description to be a nurse, uh, that you're always um, patient to patient, case to case, day to day, moment to moment, never knowing what's coming in the door and what are the expectations. And then some of us, our jobs are monotonous. And this could be outside of the profession, but if you're doing the same thing every day, you eventually grow weary of it. And then finally, that you don't have a self-care routine. You don't have any hobbies. You don't take vacations. You don't have breaks. And these breaks are really important. And the breaks can be mental ones too. So think about this. This is a, a, a break that breaks, the, um, breaks fear. If you find yourself going into the black hole of fear, this is a, a wonderful break for the brain. You ask yourself a question that you need to solve. So for example, how many quarters are in $208? And what this does by you having to think about that response is dismantle and dysregulate and re-regulate your nervous system. So it, it dismantles that um, fight or flight and re-regulates your nervous system by putting you back into the thinking mind. So know that you know there's just so much happening right now in um, nursing, but the factors are real. And a couple other ones that just want to mention is that you know you might also be working with grief. Uh, you're working with grief for your patients, anticipatory, anticipatory grief of possible losses. You might have had experienced grief. Maybe you lost someone, um, a loved one, or relationship or structure. With over 1 million deaths in this country alone due to COVID, many of you are also dealing with grief, both on a professional as well as a personal level. 
Many of you were surrogates for families who were not able to be with their loved ones as they passed. For being there, we thank you. But we also know it's taken a toll. Maybe your plans were disrupted for the future. Um, lots of things, maybe values changed or connection. Lots of issues can cause um, burnout by not having um, the ability to stay steady. And then finally, discomfort, physical discomfort or relational conditions that are just are not comfortable. The steadiness, the grounding, um, but also things like ergonomics, maybe um, even just like your feet hurt from being on your feet all day long, maybe lifting patients, um, your body is tired. There's many different things that can affect us physically related to burnout. So overall, you know, how do we prevent and improve burnout? We've got some great models here that I really hope you enjoy, especially the first one I think is fantastic. And know that these are things, not that you um, have a discussion with your manager, but these are more things that you can do for yourself that are within your control. If some of them you might need some, um, a little bit of sharing and perspective, but these things are great kind of like assessment tools. And the very first one is known as an energy audit. This is a great model that was um, developed by Dr. Rick Hansen. And I know it looks like maybe like his five-year-old child <laughs> depicted it, but it is so wise and effective. There are two components of it. One is called the stress meter and the other is called the exhaustion funnel. Now that stress meter, you know, just looking at the faces here, when everything is, um, good, we are in our green brain or our responsive mode. And it's when we're rested. So look at that smile. It's when we're not disturbed by stress. Oxytocin and natural opioids maintain the state and the heart beats more slowly and regularly. Blood pressure is reduced and we easily digest the nutrients of the food that we're eating. So we have a big smile on our face. But as we become more busy, we completely might notice a change in our face. We move from what's known as safe and social into possibly anger, withdrawal, um, disconnection. And that's in this red brain mode. And that's the reactive mode that sucks up all of our resources that could have been used for healing and self-expression. The, the red brain makes it difficult to self-soothe and for the body to repair and regenerate. And it's a place, as Dr. Rick Hansen describes, as chronic inner homelessness, that we don't feel settled and that we are, you know, maybe just not being as compassionate with ourselves, knowing that, you know, overall, we need to pay attention, paying attention to the relationship of stress and how it affects us. Now, the other side is really important. I, I really love this model because I feel like it could resonate with all of us. Think about it as we begin the journey of, of work. You can even think about it like the days of the week, that when we start the week out on Monday, we have all of our um, chores in place. We've gone grocery shopping, our laundry's done. Life is good. We've cleaned our house, everything's together. But as the week progresses, the laundry um, adds up, the groceries become depleted, um, that things aren't quite in order. So think about, again, the colors of green and red, 
and green is the very top one is really important. So when we first start, um, you know, when we are rested and our candle is shining bright, we are able to manage work, chores, rest, and play. I like the sound of that. Rest and play. When we are starting out, we can do it all. Work, chores, rest, and play. And why is play so important? Because play is a place that we discharge our stress. We discharge our stress and we move back down the stress meter ladder to a safe and social mode. But what can happen is the more that we commit to work, the things drop out. So the first thing to drop out, as we notice in the second band of this, is that play drops out. So we're only working, doing chores and resting. Then from there, what happens is that we lose the rest. All we're doing is working and chores. And then the laundry doesn't get done, the grocery shopping doesn't happen, whatever other chores you have in your life kind of fall to the side. And that we only work and if we only work and have no play and have no balance, we move into exhaustion. So just for a moment here, take a look. Where are you? Where are you? And just hold that thought. Are you still playing? Is your refrigerator full? <laughs> So as we start to move um, into some strategies for setting clear boundaries, some happens with languaging and a felt sense in the body. So those, those physical fences, it's really apparent of the boundaries. But sometimes, you know, we can really hold hard boundaries with languaging and a felt sensation in the body. So this is something, you know, I know you cannot see me, but this is something that you can do for yourself. It's like practice work. And knowing that as we hold these strong boundaries, we feel better. We don't build up resentment. So there are two things I want you to think about, two words. The first word is no. And that little word, those two letters are so difficult for us to say. Um, we're so pulled with how much we want to give to others and be compassionate for others that we forget to give to ourselves. So just holding um, your hand up with palm facing forward. Let's just practice for a moment. I want you to bring into your mind something that you are really struggling with that you know somebody wants you to say yes, but you should say no. Something that you really know that it would be too much and that it would put you more at risk on that exhaustion funnel. And once you facet that in your mind, I want you to hold up that hand, bring to attention what it is, and just say the word no. No, 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 and no some more. Just practicing that word no is really um, plays tricks with the body. It creates pathways of memory. And that no doesn't necessarily mean forever. It means no, I'm unavailable at this moment but perhaps is another time it can be done. But on the other hand, think about the word yes. Saying yes to yourself, 
saying, yes, I need self-compassion because overall, you know, I'm working with something that there is suffering and that is really what self-compassion looks at, that there's a moment of suffering and with the career that we're in nursing, there's a lot of suffering here and that I'm not alone. I am not alone, that many feel the same way I do in my profession. And then starting to give yourself this open-heartedness of kindness, friendliness, and warmth like you would someone that you care about by saying yes to yourself. Yes, I need nurturing and I need self-care. Connected with that yes and with that no are the words hard stop, that I have a hard stop that you put parameters around the time that you are engaged with others and that hard stop could be the end of a work day at let's just make up a time five o'clock that's my hard stop and then i can shift into my own self-care now some of the most difficult things to regulate um, that are part of our lives that can burn us out are our devices are you looking at your device right now while listening, let's hear what the pull of our devices actually does to us. I am not your device. You are my um, device. It depicts that every 30 seconds we pick up our phones. We pick up our phones to check in. In 2019, we picked up our phones 96 times a day. That's just crazy. And I know I'm, you know, I'm guilty here and there. But some things that you can do so that you can actually keep the brain calm. We don't do well with multitasking. So things like shutting off your alarms, keeping your work email on a computer versus your phone, taking that phone and putting it somewhere else, maybe just checking your phone or device at a certain time every hour or day or certain times of the day. And um, airplane mode can be a real friend to us. So really being mindful, knowing that every time we um, check in with that device, it creates what's known as a stress response and moves us into fight or flight. So it's in your best interest to really put boundaries around technology. Next, you know, we're always trying to um, find equilibrium between tension and relaxation at work. So what can we do? starting with um, creative uh, time management. And maybe there's certain times that work better for you that you're more productive. You can have a conversation with those that you work with, your managers, um, maybe how, how you, you know, what area of nursing you are in, maybe make a switch. I know I have a niece who's a nurse practitioner. She switched from um, neonatology, working in the NICU, um, supporting, uh, premature babies into working in um, pediatric orthopedics, a much easier uh, modality to work in. Another thing is to really evaluate your options. And what I mean by that is what tasks you are working on and your time of when you do them. Um, again, that can be a conversation you can have with someone else or with yourself, just really noticing when in your day you're going to um, do your workload and when you function best related again to the change of specialty of focus related to time management um, and overall discussion. And then um, prioritizing meetings, knowing in tasks. So know that there was a 13% increase in meetings during COVID. 13%. Ask yourself, is this a necessary meeting? 
is this necessary? Um, because multitasking overall, you know, like meetings, doing too much, it's not our friend. And what we're doing is creating this frenetic energy versus calm energy that we can support ourselves. And in addition to supporting ourselves, we can support our coworkers and we can support management. So really noticing when we are leaking our energy and when those around us are leaking our energy and what tools we can use. So this is a great depiction because what we're trying to do is rewire our brains and relax the four um, aspects or the four legs of self-care. Those four legs are nutrition, hydration, that's one leg, sleep, exercise, and social connection. So when you are in a state of homeostasis and balanced and you're managing your stress and everything's great, your stool is holding up nice and strong. But if you start moving down that energy funnel and you're not having chance to, um, to play, to connect with others, or to get to the grocery store so that you can eat nutritionally, you know, very good food or hydrate, that stool's gonna get a little weak and it might actually tip over. How steady is my stool that prevents burnout, keeping those legs strong? In addition to this, really being mindful that the body needs to move. It needs to move, it needs to rest, it needs to process stress. So there's a little exercise known as the jellyfish break. It's really a simple one um, in which you just get up and move kind of um, organically in your body. Um, you can sway your body. You can pretend that you are a jellyfish in an ocean, that you're just swayed by um, all that floats around you, you know, all the busyness around you, and that you are unaffected. This model is from Dr. Chris Germer at Harvard. It's a great one that we just take a moment, we stand up, or we can also do it seated, but we, we release and remove stress from our body because it needs a place to go. It needs to be discharged. Let's pause for just a moment and imagine yourself as that jellyfish in the ocean. Another way to relax and rewire is to learn something new to engage the thinking part of the brain. This could be in new interests that create flow, such maybe like gardening or cooking, walking, whatever it is that makes you happy. It could be volunteering, etc. And then knowing that compassion is key to our happiness and that compassion is really two pieces. There's yin compassion, which is all the things that we do to hold ourselves tenderly. It could be those mind-body practices, yoga, meditation, etc. But it also um, relates to our strong boundaries, our protective factors, um, the young side of it, holding, holding ourselves up, um, protecting ourselves. So yin and yang compassion are equally important. And then finally, knowing that we can't always do this um, alone, that it's really helpful to really be checking in with others and that we are more likely to actually do um, our tasks. Maybe, maybe it's something of health. Maybe it's saying I'm going to go walk you know, at lunchtime or whenever I have a break. If you tell someone you're going to do it, you're more likely to do it. You can even have a contest with someone. Um, in my teachings, in my classes and courses, I offer accountability challenges using a, a Google Doc. That's what I do. People go in and they check um, because nobody likes not to have a gold star. 
and it feels really good to connect with others. So making sure that you are public about your goals is a great thing. So summarizing up today's um, content. No, you know, burnout is real. We all start bright. And through our giving, thinking that we're doing such a great job for others, we become depleted and our candle begins to burn out. So recognizing as early as you can in your professional career that you must absorb the idea that your physical and mental health are at least as important as climbing the ladder of success um, from a corporate perspective. You know, you can say yes, yes, yes to extra shifts, extra hours, more patience, but if, it's, if you are not managing it and balancing it with that self-care, with those strong boundaries, um, you might fall all the way down the ladder. But like Ariana Huffington, recognize that burnout can be a great way to wake up a turning point, um, a change, a way to bring um, the life that you want, the balancing in with a career that is all about giving, remembering that you are in nursing, again, for a reason. You're here to help others, but not make, making sure that on the way that you don't give you know, all of your energy and that you have more control than you think you do. And there are many things that you can do within your control to reverse burnout. And finally, as you move forward with compassion versus fear, because some of us have shame that we have to have boundaries, you might have fear for a moment, but know in the long run, the only people who get upset when you set those boundaries are those who have benefited from you having none. So having those strong boundaries, the yin boundaries, the yang boundaries, allow us to do our work of patient care better. So I hope that you enjoyed today's presentation, knowing that you know the body is keeping score always, whether you can see what's happening in your neurophysiological responses or not, or feel them, just know that there's an inside job happening here. We need to pay attention. So just at the end here, I provided a survey uh, for you to kind of assess where you're at. And these, this survey kind of is a scanning um, to see where you are with burnout. So take a moment. Does any of this resonate with you? And if it does, I know, you know, there are resources um, within management, things you can do for yourself. Uh, there are ways that antidotes to, um, to burnout, the very first one being self-care and boundaries. We need even more um, accentuation on keeping our nurses safe, productive, and we want younger nurses. We want to attract people to this profession versus um, turning them away because of uh, turnover and burnout. I love doing this work, working with staff um, of organizations. And um, as I said, the work is very important. Nursing work is very important and there's much we can do for ourselves. So thank you. In our series on boundaries and burnout, strategies for nurses to maintain self, we heard from Trish Hart a highly skilled stress management educator and facilitator of mind-body workshops, lectures, training, retreats, and events. Trish speaks on a wide range of wellness and mental health topics, inspiring individuals to thrive in physical and emotional performance. 
We've heard about the signs and symptoms of burnout, as well as some strategies to balance the stress in our busy lives. Trish recently returned to answer questions posed by nurses, beginning with this one as it relates to helping members of our teams. There are nurses who won't admit that they're burned out. How can we address this as their manager? Well, communication is really important. Observation and anonymity is really important. So making sure, you know, that you give them the, um, at least the content in terms of um, the stages of burnout, maybe the check-in at the end and sharing it with everyone, not just them, so that they can at least be, their eyes can be opened to the idea of burnout and also discussing it how prevalent it is. As I mentioned, out of 4 million nurses, one third have burnout. Um, so it's not uncommon and that you do your job better. And that's the big thing. You do your job better when you um, really attend to self-care. So as a manager, perhaps you can even have events that are circulating around um, alleviating burnout, um, putting our, our groups less at risk of burnout by doing fun things, connecting as a, as a group, th- things that are healthy and having um, open communication. That leads us to the next question. How can managers proactively protect their staff from burnout? I I mean, I really think that just the word burnout, hearing it, that it is real, sharing statistics, um, giving them the frameworks, and that supporting, like if someone comes to you and is mentioning that at at their particular time, they're having a hard time juggling it all, working creatively with those employees to maybe develop a better model for working. Maybe it's a proportion, patient care um, ratio proportion. Uh, maybe maybe their feet hurt that day. You know, like working with what is realistic of what you can do um, as a manager within that department to help um, support that staff. One participant had an observation that perhaps managers could help their staff prevent burnout by being mindful of all they're asking of them. Done. Absolutely. It's hard to say no. You know, just going home and practicing that no is really, really um, freeing, powerful, powerful. Um, and that, you know, you want to do quality work. So even if you say yes, if you overcommit, your work will suffer, your self care will suffer, and you will move towards those stages of burnout if you continue to do so in chronic stress. I love that, that the legs of the stool. You can also think about it like a wheel. You know, if, if, if things aren't turning, you know, if one piece of it's deficient, it doesn't turn or the stool breaks. And so those components are, um, and a little bit more detail about those, um, sleep. So making sure that you're, you have healthy sleep um, hygiene patterns, including maybe, you know, if you can, sleeping between seven and eight hours a day. There's many factors behind good sleep. Um, also, hydration. You know, if you can, you know, hydration is our friend. It actually actually helps us with sleep as well. And if you can drink, let's see, half of your body weight in ounces, that's what's recommended. And making sure that you're not going too long without um, sustenance. So every three to four hours, making sure that you're eating. So food and hydration. And then social connection, making sure that you're connecting with others. It keeps our brain healthy, um, that we are part and purposeful, as we saw in that um 
the human performance curve that we need to to be with others we need to connect we need to be part of society and we are social beings and then finally that last piece is exercise so making sure that we're walking that we're getting outside that we're creating a, a little bit of cardio um, as well as uh, stretching moving the body and um, you know everything related to exercise so that we stay healthy And a final question for Trish. How do you respond to nurses' reactions that it is difficult to practice the strategies mentioned in this session? Well, it's just like it, it is hard to, to, um, to practice these strategies, and you don't have to bite off everything in one day. You know, even if you can um, just practice that word, no. You know, it's, it's a habit. So it takes time for habits to stick. So if you can break the, the habits down into tiny pieces, it's more likely to be valuable. Um, know that it's hard because we're so used to giving in this profession. We're so easy to give compassion to others, but remembering that self-compassion, you only have so much energy. And that's, that's what kind of keeps me grounded. Do I want to give my energy to this? Am I giving away my valuable energy? Um, because you, if you start to come from a perspective of self-compassion, it can make it more easy. Absolutely. What are your mantras, the things that keep you connected? It is important for us to continue to learn about self-care and the positive impact it has on us as professionals. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Trish Hart share her expertise on this topic and that you continue learning by checking out other self-care courses available at EliteLearning.com. Thank you for listening. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.